Hello, everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what makes them special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back indeed. After our brief uh, unannounced hiatus. Yeah, just a bit of a week there. It's been, oh, it's been a bit of a week. <laughs> it's been a bit of be a honest. couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, moving house. Um, the hardest parts are, are done, but it's just a lot of little stuff now. Oh, yeah. Um, Would that it were so simple as, uh, you know, arriving on a new island and becoming indebted to a new raccoon. Right. But uh, sadly, real life moving is definitely much more complicated than that. I will admit, though, when um, I mean, in the past, when I didn't have the sciatica issue from the deteriorated, uh, you know, disc, uh, there are aspects of moving that I have enjoyed that are definitely directly Tetris informed in that mm. it can be a really satisfying puzzle to pack your truck, mm. uh, but you do need to have the physical wherewithal. And it needs to not be raining. It's kind of important that it's not either raining or fucking scorching hot. And you're just like dripping sweat. Like if Tetris were like that, it would truly be um, like a hellish experience. Instead now of that's, Now that's Wetris. Wetris. <laughs> which I believe might have come up on the pod oh, previously. Oh, it certainly did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. But, um, but yeah, there is something satisfying that satisfies my puzzle mind. When I find like, oh, this is the perfect item to fit in the back of the truck. And that's just like a solid wall of yeah. stuff back there, including using the little attic up there and like having it like not only are things in there, they're not going to come flying out if, uh, you know, I accelerate too quickly. I was wondering if I could drill you on your what's it going to be? 11th favorite game. Yeah. 11th favorite game. Here we are ranking it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for 11, I'm tempted to reorder with the insertion of this 11th game. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, for now, I, I just want to keep building the list for a minute, but this is a pretty important game to me. Uh, it is a game that is already on your list. Mm. I have a feeling this is going to happen for both of us with some degree of frequency as we get further down, we'll have adjacent games or games that are going to, you know, there are a lot of things that, uh, that you and I don't sync up on, but there are definitely games that are extremely important to both of us. Um, that one way or another, sooner or later, we'll wind up uh, on both of our lists, probably. There's I am been the notable absence with attention. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm working it. I'm working it. Yeah. You know, we don't have a guest. So I was like, I, I, I'm going to just go with this. I'm going to work it up. <laughs> Although I know we, we ran into the danger last time of not having a guest and being like, oh, we can just ramble. And like <laughs> right. a episode. Um, but uh, no, Ocarina of Time. I didn't have a Zelda uh -huh. game on the list, but this game in particular uh, is the one that's going to going to take the, the 11 spot for me. Yeah, um, I feel like when we speak of Zelda, it's mostly been been me speaking of my Zelda experience. To be honest, if you had asked me, Paul, have I played Ocarina of Time? I would have said no. Really? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why, but... Interesting. Well, because it's not like I've ever had an N64 lying around the house that you've seen. Mm -hmm. So that might be a big factor. Um, but... Apart from the original Legend of Zelda, what was the side-scrolling one? Um, the first yeah. side-scrolling one, Link's Adventure. Link's Adventure, I think, yeah. Was it actually called Zelda that? Zelda 2, Link's Adventure, yeah. The Adventure yeah, of Link, maybe. Yeah. yeah, Adventure of Link, I think. I played that one a bit. Uh, I played the original one. Probably it's the second most of the Zelda games that I've played. 
Um, well, that's actually hard to say because uh, both I played both DS games quite like top to bottom quite heavily. That's right. Yeah. Um, enjoyed the shit out of those. But Ocarina was is a very special game for me. Um, I mentioned back at number six, SSX Tricky and the introduction of a GameCube at that time, my roommate Shane, into, into my living environs, mm-hmm. um, which got me back into video gaming. And not too long after that, I was in Los Angeles, and I think my brother was like, hey, while you're down there, if you want to borrow my N64, um, he must have known that I, I must have talked with him about playing video games. He was like, yeah, feel free. He was actually probably still living in L.A. at the time himself or back down in L.A. at that point in time. And um, and borrow his N64, I did. And because I'd started gaming again, um, this led me in relatively short order to jump into Ocarina. I had like a relatively small TV, probably smaller than this monitor on my desk, almost definitely in my room. It was probably an old fucking tube TV, honestly. It was probably some ancient ass television. Um, and I played the shit out of Ocarina of Time and it got me, it hooked me good. It got me into the action RPG genre as an adult gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was playing, you know, tricky and, uh, time splitters Two, which will come up again at a later date. I don't know if you've heard the news, but there is the time splitters team. I'm forgetting the name of the studio is reforming to make a new time splitters. <laughs> Nice. I am very excited about that. Excellent. Um, but uh, but no, o- Ocarina, it hooked me so freaking deep. I was just, you know, I was up in there playing that game a lot, played it top to bottom, enjoyed it thoroughly. Every every inch and mile of it um, was referring to it as Ocarina at the time. I was definitely mispronouncing the word Ocarina, but, you know, it's OK. It happens. Um, and it, it paved the way for good and ill <laughs> for like whatever a year and a half later um i started playing wow mm-hmm. and uh that is definitely for both good and for ill so um there's there's too much to love about this game mm-hmm. um it probably would have appeared higher on my list but i have a little bit of a trouble thinking that i would like jump back into it mm-hmm. anytime soon um and so i decided you know what i'm past the top 10 i'm going to slightly suspend that particular rule for list making because there are games that are extraordinarily important to me that um maybe i'll never play again but that should still really be in in my list of top games yeah like i could imagine playing ocarina again um but at least logistically in the short run i I have trouble thinking about squaring the time for it uh let alone whatever kind of um cable hell i would have to get into to plug the N64 into my television. Uh, wait, so you still have an N64 with the cartridge? Uh, yeah, it's up in my mom's place. I've still got an N64. I got Majora's Mask, which I started but never finished. That one's a weird one. Yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, it's kind of widely regarded as the hardest one, if I'm not mistook. Yeah, and it's a black sheep on top of on top of that as well. I mean, a lot of people love that game, but it has garnered plenty of hate, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I... I, I need to, I want to, but uh, I have not yet ever gotten through it. I've tried like four times, but yeah. Again, I, this is probably why I petered out. Like Ocarina was one of the beautiful things about Ocarina is it's not an easy game, but it's got a really dialed in difficulty level mm-hmm. where it's like, if you can, if you can beat that first boss, it's like Deku tree 
uh, Goma, Queen Goma inside Queen the Goma. tree. Yeah. Inside the tree. Yeah. If you can beat Queen Goma, you can beat the game. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like the difficulty level is absolutely like dialed in. There's stuff that's like frustrating and hard and obnoxious and that you're going to die a lot and have to try and try and try again. But fundamentally speaking, if you can grasp those fundamental mechanics in the beginning, fundamentally fundamental mechanics, um, <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, like the discovery aspect of the game is not, I think that's really the thing that hit me about Majora's Mask by contrast. Mm like figuring out what the fuck you're supposed to be doing in that game felt really torturous. Whereas like Ocarina, sometimes you kind of have to wander around a little bit, but the path was pretty, was pretty clear. And so, and it was really pleasantly like delightful every time you did solve, whether it was a dungeon puzzle or just a like, Oh, this is where I'm supposed to be going in, in the overworld, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I can't, uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to play it as like an adult gamer for the first time. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't trade my experience for anything. Um, one could debate which is a, is a richer experience. Um, but yeah, to have a, a fully formed sort of gaming identity and sense of games. And I, I suppose I did at the time when I was 16. I mean, I loved them then just as much as I do now. But I don't know. Well, I just more breadth a, of experience. That's the interesting thing there is that I was coming back to games after not playing them for like mm-hmm. doing very little gaming for about five or six years. Mm-hmm. Six years I think about six years um, doing like very, very little gaming. So I had a more formed identity as a young adult, you know, being in my mid 20s, you know, people in their mid 20s are mostly adults. <laughs> um, <laughs> So much more formed, like overall identity, but actually as a gamer, I was reforming an identity as a gamer. So mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting inflection point. Yeah. Um, I wonder, do, do you recall any sequence in the game that, that stymied you like in, from like a puzzle sense? I mean, it's probably been a while, but it's been a long time and I haven't, I have not revisited to replay the game, but yeah. um, yes. Um so a minor stymie would have been uh, the, the, the Goron's mountain coming back down when the volcano's going off. Mm-hmm. Small thing, though. Um, uh, the What the heck are they called? It's the water people. Um, the Zora? The Zora, thank you. I don't know why I wasn't able to remember that. It's not like they haven't been in all of the other games <laughs> or any of them. Um, I broadly remember the Zora as being a total total pain in the butt. And having a lot of difficulty with figuring out what was going on over there, yeah. what I needed to do, and getting stuck in the Zora area and it being like really just like I got through it and I don't remember it being like ready to give up on the game kind of a, a feeling. Mm-hmm. But I do remember it being like, what the fuck? Why is this so hard? Now I I have a feeling that if I were to like watch some game footage, I'd be like, oh yeah, oh, it's that. But because I haven't actually even watched anybody play the game in a long time, um, I'm having trouble pinpointing exactly what it was about about the Zora that was so bedeviling. You know, it's because I've had similar experiences when you first arrive at, uh, what is it even called? The the Zora village. Um, Does it have a name? Yeah, but I'm almost positive it has a name and I don't again like this is the 
Oh, Zoro's Domain, I think is what it's called. Yes, um, I'm sure you're right. You get there and it's kind of quiet and there's really not NPCs around the first time and it kind of feels like a dead end almost. So I- Yeah, and I there's recall... nothing signaling your attention of like, what am I supposed to do next here? And then that leads into one of my favorite sequences in, in the game is when you feed, um, well, it's not Lord Jabu Jabu because he's the giant fish. I guess it's just King Zora maybe, but you feed him that fish and then he moves out of your way, but he moves like one butt cheek at a time, like very slowly. <laughs> and it takes like 30 seconds. He's like, we, 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 we. <laughs> that's like a design uh, choice. I could not imagine a contemporary designer making. Yeah. Like gamer patience has, has uh, diminished drastically. It would you, at like, least be skippable. That. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least be skippable. You play test that and people would be like, nah. <laughs> yeah um yeah what uh you know what what can you even say it's a it's a masterpiece i i hope you get to play it again someday i mean they're they're well overdue for a remaster so yeah i mean they really so i at the rate i'm going i may well wind, wind up switch uh, skipping the switch entirely um <laughs> which would kind of suck because i'd like to get one it's just low down on my list of priorities um but um but who knows maybe there will be a backwards compatible switch too or something um because it seems like it would be a really good platform for them to do a remaster on yeah yeah no doubt so um great any any closing thoughts on ocarina for now no i mean that's pretty much good for good for now uh you know i'm i have a feeling that now having put it on the list i'm going to be like motivated to do a little digging on the internet which may well churn up some other things i want to mention about the game um but i just again it's a, it's a masterpiece and it really is a masterpiece of the action adventure genre it mm -hmm. is like i obviously i skipped a bunch of the chapters in between but it is a realization of what they were trying to do in the original legend of zelda at a much higher level um and so i think that as a result it's been the foundation for a lot of other games in that in that arena since and so mm -hmm. i think it's no accident that it served as a really kind of uh, powerful touchstone for me for drawing me back into gaming more broadly yeah, and in a future episode, I'll, I want to discuss with you that whole uh, sequence of events as well, because I'm sure there'll be some interesting tidbits there. Yeah, there probably will. Absolutely. <laughs> and to our listeners, it, it, my mic shouldn't be picking it up, but if, if you're hearing a little like sound of a, a ball in the background um, that's like maybe in a plastic tube, uh, yeah, that might be Pablo playing with a cat toy back there. Okay. You know, Pablo's got to do their thing. It's uh, it's all good. Pablo's got to Pablo's got to do what Pablo's got to do. <laughs> um, well, what I've got to do right now is tell you. Got to tell me your eleventh favorite game about my next game. Yes, and yeah. it is actually slotting in at number nine. Um, ironically, okay. uh, Final Fantasy X. <laughs> okay. It is. Uh, I mean, I might have to move it up. We'll see. Because Final Fantasy IX is number three. Um. I was going to say, this is your second Final Fantasy entry on your list. And this is a yeah. great example of a game that is unlikely to ever find its way onto my list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the time being yeah. a factor, for sure. The time mm. is a huge factor. I, I could see potentially having time in my life for like a deep dive game like that again. But it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's just not as likely. It's yeah. something I should have picked up back then when I was doing a lot of heavy gaming. But so what yeah. is it about? Well, and another future topic is the the subject of time, uh, 
you mentioned something as I was listening back to a podcast about Apex specifically and your your time being put into that. And that's true. It's it's not the most compelling argument because there's more to it than that. But you you know, I don't know. You, I'm not trying to hold your feet to any sort of fire, but the, the time is there. It's just Apex is a is a is we'll the come draw. to this in a moment when i talk about what i've been playing so like just put that <laughs> on hold for just a few minutes and do regale us uh your number nine yes. slot um yeah i i remember quite well when i first started seeing like uh, images of it in magazines and stuff and hearing that it was fully voiced um which was a first for the series um and it's just such a charming tale uh what i love about the story is you know you have an overworld map sort of towards the end of the game, but it is a game where you are on a journey. You start in a place and you have a destination and that is the end game. And you are literally traveling across this world in in not a straight line, but in a in a linear path. Yeah. Uh, and it is a journey. Like it was, it's literally a pilgrimage within the story of the game itself. And I really appreciated that. Um, instead of like, okay, I'm in this world and I can sort of backtrack and explore. It's like, no, we're on a quest and we got to keep moving forward. Um, story is wonderful. The battle system really has yet to be eclipsed. Like Final Fantasy 13 maybe comes close, but. Um, this is 10? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and when was it? 2000. I think 2000. Okay. Um, but yeah, the battle system, it shows you all the uh, people's turns coming up, enemies and your own party. And then it's like, if I turn on haste, now I see where I've like slotted up a few slots. And you can very deliberately plot out, okay, I have three attacks until it's the enemy's turn again. And, you know, what do I need to do? Um, and the game has always been there for me in, in tough times. Like, uh, it's a very bittersweet love story it's a tragic love mm. story and each time i finish it i you know i'm kind of sad and it, it, there's a, a bit cathart a bit of catharsis as well and i had gone through a breakup at one point when i had just when i was finishing the game and it really like crystallized those those feelings and sort of gave me this outlet for those emotions um and boy the music i mean it's 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 just it's a gem you know so you got a lot there that yeah. i want to unpack a few parts of but the first one is actually really almost at a mechanical level um in games gamers often like to complain about being railroaded obviously mm -hmm. especially in something like a tabletop rpg people don't like it when their dm railroads them Mm -hmm. But linearity is often something in games that people like to, to kind of, you know, grieve about and be annoyed about. Um, and yet in this instance, it's something you're actually highlighting as one of the, the great values of the game. And I was mm -hmm. wondering if you could just say a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, you know, at a, at a snapshot, when I'm thinking about myself, I, I don't tend to mind uh, linearity or, or even rail railroading really, sure. um, it comes down to the individual quality of, of the work. You know, there can be a good linear game and a bad linear game and same with like an open world game. And actually as open world games have gained prevalence, I've sort of lamented what we have lost 
with a more authored sort of experience. Uh, yeah. The Witcher series is a perfect example. Witcher Two is one of my favorite games ever. It's on my on my list, uh, you know, yeah. on my on my my secondary list. Um, and I wanted to love Witcher Three. I'll probably try it again at some point, but it was just sort of diluted. Um, it felt like there was too too much too going much. on, too big of a world, and the quests weren't as interesting to me. Um, yeah. And the quest design, it, it was less. It felt less personal and less intimate um, than than the quest design of The Witcher Two. Um, so, I yeah, it is a common sort of trope or complaint that linearity is a bad thing, and it 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 can be. But um, yeah, I think it's on its on its own individual merits. I I mean I kind of put it this way that um, the the classic complaint about linearity is like the kind of the question of whether this could just have been done with a different medium instead could i have just read or watched or whatever this you know if it's just just feels more like a story and um i also think the tr tradition of linearity in earlier games uh to a great extent derived from trying to tell stories the way that stories are told in linear media mm -hmm. um but i I think that like to hit to something that you're getting at, I think you're, you're fundamentally right that it, instead it shouldn't be looked at as like a historical artifact of, of trying to approximate Hollywood or whatever. Um, even if it, if it was, when you consider the design of a possible game, it should be looked at more in terms of a choice mm -hmm. to say like, no, I want the player to experience the story that I'm telling. Mm -hmm. And if there are ways to diverge from it, that's fine. Those are their choices. Um, but um, but at core, they're going to come wrapped back to it. And like, I still haven't finished Firewatch. I feel like when I do, and I need to come back to it sometime soon and finish it, probably have to restart it to do that. Uh, it feels like a good example of a game that even though you can wander around, it's telling a pretty linear story from what I've experienced of it, which is like half to two thirds of the game, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and so clearly a more, you know, it's not super modern, but it's a recent enough game that can stand as as just one example of like, you can you can still tell a linear story and make an amazing game that's critically acclaimed and the people are like, dang. Yeah. No. Um, second question for you. Am I right in remembering that that's around the time that the Final Fantasy movie came out? Yeah, I think it is. Spirits and Within. So I need to ask you then about Spirits Within. Did you, did you see it in the theater? And how did it feel as a fan of the series, <laughs> given the kind of the, the timing of that? Yeah, I did see it in the theater and it it was a little flat for me. You know, it, I had fun, but it wasn't great. Um, I, it's been getting written up recently, it has, like yeah. retrospectively, people being like critically acclaiming it. And I'm like, do you all remember how you reviewed this back when it came out? Right. <laughs> um, so it, it actually hits on sort of something that I, I, I think about when media, when we get like a transmedia kind of thing here. Yeah. Like when I let if I was going to make a Final Fantasy movie, I would make it like the game. I would probably make it like Final Fantasy nine with a black mage and, you know, a fighter and and this and that. Um, and it seems like whenever there's this sort of adaptation, they take it in this entirely different direction. You know, maybe the focus groups indicate that they should do it that way, but you never it never feels like 
it never feels as much like the the property in question as I would. I still haven't seen the Doom, the Doom movie, which I think might be like the the exception to, to this. Also, I mean, the original, I haven't seen the new Mortal Kombat, but the original Mortal Kombat movie was yeah. pretty much like, well, Mortal Kombat's kind of based on this Bruce Lee movie, and we're just going to go with that, and we're going to remake that with the Mortal Kombat characters, and we're going all in. It totally. was goofy, and it was stupid, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and the other issue with it, it uh, I mentioned it uh, a few episodes ago, the sort of techno magic aesthetic mm, that's taken right. over like all of jrpgs right i'm sick of it 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 feels incongruous to me and apparently you were sick of it before it became hot back when it yeah. was like and yeah. this movie is all that <laughs> you know it there might be there's crystals in it and maybe that's as far as it goes um i guess you're not looking forward to liza pinocchio oh wait sorry that's way off topic um i've heard that title this is a dark retelling of like uh oh it's a game yeah that's coming out anyway okay. we'll table that for another time <laughs> yeah um and my third question for you yes um you have definitely mentioned this to me before and i just want you to go uh, a little longer on the combat system you mentioned the part about haste yeah um but if you will for our listeners who like me have never played the game tell us just a little bit more because one thing i know about the final fantasy games is that they have had until a certain point, at least a legacy where each game reimagines the combat system a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, so it tends to stand out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I really like about it is there, there is a clear, like superior choice strategically when you're in a battle and it's really fun uh, looking at the enemies and you don't even have to do like the thing where you read their status to see what they're weak against. An example, so you are in a fight with a flying enemy, this rocky kind of bulky guy, and this little quick lizard guy. Mm -hmm. If you've been playing the game for a while, you're going to know that you need Waka to throw the ball at the flying enemy. You need Orin to use his big-ass sword to chomp through the armored enemy. And yeah. you need Titus, uh, who's quick, to hit the little guy because if Orin attacks the little guy there's a good chance that enemy's going to dodge out of the way and it's so satisfying being able to just look visually at the battle and then know what the optimum strategy is going to be that's fucking dope yeah it's and it it takes a little while before you get there i mean it's a jrpg you know it you're with one person for a while and um but the other thing is i I hate it in JRPGs when there are just all these filler battles where you're literally just hitting X and there's yeah. no thought or strategy involved. Um, and I feel like for the most part, it's pretty well tuned to where each battle is is engaging and maybe not a ton of risk, but enough to where you're, you're kind of having to stay on your toes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Absolutely. those those are two pretty big elements of that for me. I think that'll be good for now. I mean, I, I will just put a, um, a little sticker on that to say that you're touching on something uh, that games, uh, uh, video games theorists and like scholars have written about in terms of like the semantics of a game and like understanding games, each game having its unique language um, and like developing a game specific literacy like Pokemon players or Magic the Gathering players um, where it's kind of like you start to chunk all these different bits together uh, where you can make these kind of executive decisions 
on the fly, right? Um, just based off of kind of reading reading a situation that uh, an outsider, when confronted by it, is just as mystified as somebody speaking a foreign language. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a it's a great way, and, and I guess um, what I appreciate about you describing it uh, that way is that, like, to me, that's a lot in general of a game when it succeeds is. Um, that that expertise allows you to to engage in it with fluency, mm-hmm. and that's often what makes like a really good game is one where like once you understand it, uh, it starts to become effortless to to deal with those aspects of it with these like weird arcane kind of messes mm-hmm. <laughs> that really to you know to the outside you're just like I don't understand anything about what you just did, but that looks cool. Whereas you can take it apart and be like, well, I did this because of this and that because mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, the fast guy's got to go attack the little guy. And, you know, that's just that's just epic. And and all the better when the game can uh, convey that diegetically for you as, as yeah, well. Uh, absolutely. What this game did. Instead of it having to fucking literally train you, which is another way that games can often fail um, or at least fail for most audiences. Uh, you know. Yeah. Although I will. It does tutorialize it. Uh, but once you know about it, the visual design, you know what I mean, is enough. Oh, I'm not saying the tutorializing would, would, would be a failure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, rather for most audiences, having to kind of extensively literally engage in the training, mm-hmm. so to speak, not just like it's tutorialized. So it walks you through and highlights the thing. You do this now. Hey, I'm introducing a new element. Here's how it works. Right. No, that's actually great. That's good game design. That's where like educators and learning design can like learn a shit ton from video games. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are definitely, I think some examples where it's like, yeah, you kind of got to spend time with a spreadsheet or this book functionally speaking, uh, or you'll never actually get it, <laughs> right. you know, and there will always be audiences for that, but they're, they're definitely edge audiences compared to uh, you know, kind of the majority of folks who could, could potentially enjoy a game. Yeah. Yeah, um, it very near and dear to my heart. I, I may play it again someday. They did a remaster, which was fantastic. Um, they even redid the music, uh, like 90% of which is as good as or superior to the original. Nice. But the nice thing is you can switch back with just a menu. Do I want the old graphics or the new? Do I want the old music or the new? Uh, what platform was it on originally? Um, originally PS2. Okay. Yeah, so I mean that's not super chunky, but it's still going to be, you know, pretty chunky. A little, a little chunked, <laughs> a little chunked, a little bit, bit driven. Yes. Well, uh, I think that will bring us to the next chunk of our show. And Moses, why don't you tell me what have you been playing? Apex. <laughs> Apex. <laughs> so let me head this off. So I, Angelica, extended her trip um for for a couple of days she's catching up with people on the east coast she was out there for many years okay. and uh so she is um uh, out there for a couple of days longer and one function of that coinciding with the drop of the new apex season is that i've been playing an absolutely fucking unreasonable amount of apex legends i've broadly been gaming more than i normally would in my normal life with my partner who i love and respect and love spending time with and doing things with um, I think also combined with being in the LA area, if I were still in Madison, for instance, and had more people as we were uncoveting 
to go and spend real physical time with and say like, Paul, let's go throw a Frisbee. Let's like do some couch co-op gaming. Let's do, you know, some bug chess, um, bug chess, which, uh, is hive for those of you who actually play the board game hive. Um, but, uh, under these contexts, while I've been doing other things as well, I've been, I've been playing a lot of fucking apex and, um, definitely part of it is getting to the right skill level. Uh, but the much bigger part of it is that normally, normally I play half an hour to an hour of a video game a day, most days of the week. And every once in a while I have time to go a little bit longer. Um, and then sometimes I'll sneak in a break here or there. And that has a lot to do with structuring the types of games that I lean towards playing because I tend not to lean into games that I can't step away from on relatively short notice. Um, and the benefit of Apex is you can step away from it on relatively short notice. You just choose not to because of the fucking compulsion <laughs> loops that are designed into the game. Right. Um, and the advent of arenas, which I mentioned in the last episode, has been a big factor. I've been doing a lot of arena playing. I've been jumping back over into uh, playing the Battle Royale as well. Um, and that's been a good balance. It's been a good balance of trying to skill up a little bit through arenas. And yeah, I still suck. I generally have a lower score than everybody else, but uh, lower damage that is. But I do more damage than I used to. I'm a better mm -hmm. player than I used to be. I get more wins than I used to. And uh, every once in a while, it really works out with the randos. I was playing with some woman in Kansas the other day when she was like on with her friend and then her, her brother came on and then she like hit me up to join a party afterwards. And I was like, yeah, my fiance is out of town. Just making clear, I'm not looking for a long distance relationship with some random gamer in Kansas. Um, but like, you know, it was cool. It, like, hey, just like uh, the other like awesome random event that I don't think I mentioned last time, which was like um, I was playing with these these like in a, in a party with these two random Latino dudes, um, and I didn't ask them where they're from, um, but. Uh, good lord they could have been geographically very proximate to me uh they sounded kind of kind of angelino um where uh in apex if you die you can get rezzed if you go down uh uh you can you can get um you can get brought you know um or no that's that's getting rezzed um damn it why am i blanking on the terminology at the worst possible moment but anyway if you if you go down they can grab your tag and uh and they can call you back down from the skies um and it was the final circle. And I was like, I'd been on mute through most of the match. And then I, I turned on the mic because I was like, no, no, I've got to tell them, do not res me. It's a bad idea. Like, this is end game here. Um, there's one other squad left. It will exactly just like disclose your location. Because mm -hmm. um, it really does. There are a couple of things you can do that are like, here I am, come kill me. Um, and uh, they're like, no way, man. We're, we're bringing you down. And they did. <laughs> nice. And uh, they both went down in the final fight, and I actually got the last two downs to to, to win the game. It was one of my yeah, peak dude. moments in Apex. Like I didn't get the most damage over the course of the match, yeah. um, but I, I helped bring these two bros to victory. Um, <laughs> felt really good about it. I was like, okay, they made the right call by by ignoring my my direction to not like uh, call me in. So um, all in all, it's been good with the Apex. But that is the answer to the implied question: any game that you that you think I should be playing. You should always ask the question of like, could this be played in hour long segments where you could reasonably step away from it? Cause otherwise I can 
schedule a block of time to invest in experience as far as the gaming experience goes. But um, but it kind of needs to be like that in my normal life when my fiance, who, you know, soon to be my wife, is not on uh, on the op- opposite coast. Um, and I'm not like, you know, left my own devices for two weeks to you know, drink too many beers and play too many video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I hear what you're saying there. Um... That doesn't mean that Final Fantasy X couldn't fit the bill. I've just always kind of assumed that literally any JRPG requires you to sit down for three to five hour bl- blocks of time. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, ob- yeah, obviously that assumption is is, is not not accurate um well it's not ungrounded no and it's it sort of raises an interesting maybe nuance here like how a game feels maybe more than what it actually would mean to play it like you think of a jrpg oh my god it's 40 hours how am i going to do that you know well you could do it an hour at, at a time. There are oh, I points. will easily do a long game an hour at a time. I'm still working through Dark Souls 3, as you as you right. know. I intend to finish the game. I've probably put over 100 hours into it, you know? Yeah. like. But there's grind. something about maybe if it is perhaps story-focused or maybe mechanically quite dense and expansive, more than just like shooting guns, which can obviously be very... Uh, dense in its own way, but you don't have to remember the status effect or, oh, there's a flying enemy, so who, which guy do I, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you at least need to be invested in it. I mean, so that's one thing. Apex has a really dense language that you need to learn in order to get proficient, and that's part of the reason why I've gotten so sucked into it is that once you start getting there, mm-hmm. you like do recognize, oh, that's a shotgun bolt laying on the ground. I don't need to mouse over it to know that that's what I'm looking for because I've got a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And I would like a bolt, <laughs> you know, um, that takes fucking hours of gameplay to, to get that, that language in your head. So it's not that different in that respect. It's more, I think about rhythms of play. Mm-hmm. Um, a game like apex is definitely very slot machine-ish. It wants you to jump right back in, whether you had a good game or a bad game. Um, you know, if you died in five minutes in a battle Royale, or you ran that victory slow all the way to half an hour. Either way, it's trying to tickle your psychological buttons to, that's a terrible mix of metaphors, to, to get you to jump back into it. And I feel like the psychological hook of, a, of, some, of any RPG is different. It is more about wanting to open the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, there's finishing a fight, but it's not just you know, log on, play a few fights. It's about a narrative unrolling and unlocking powers and understanding new configurations and managing inventory. Um, And not short-term inventory that's that's gone the moment your match is done, but like Mm -hmm. building this long-term inventory and especially with multiple characters and, you know, being able to like, it's not just keeping that in your head. So I'm, I'm trying to like distinguish there. It's about the engagement with these configurations and spending the time you know, spending half an hour moving stuff around item slots, um, <clears throat> Mass Effect as well, um, which, you know, just came out remastered and I'm fucking sorely tempted, but I know the kind of time that it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you don't sit down to Mass Effect and play it for, for 45 minutes. Uh, <laughs> like, Although you and I probably both have, but I, I understand your point, but... Yeah, no, probably um, at moments. Yeah, at, at moments, and that'd be like, Oh, uh, you know, I've got a friend coming by shortly. 
but I'm just going to try and get this mission done. Right. Yeah. But you've got to be pretty far in the tank and ready to spend three hours at the point that you're trying to eke out 20 minutes to, to try and see if you can do the mission you're stuck on, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I almost wonder if, because so like a round of apex or an evening of apex matches will have a very clear, let's say beginning, middle and end. Um, and well, I wonder, okay. not so much the end, but go on. Well, I mean, the end could just be you being killed though. Right. I mean, a match has a very clear beginning, middle and end. And right. even playing apex has a really hazy end that depends on when you decide whatever the various factors might be that cause you to say, I'm done for tonight. Sure. Maybe, maybe I guess we should look at it more as an individual match then, because sure. to contrast, like an RPG, you are engaging in just a fragment of this larger whole. Absolutely. But with apex, you are getting the whole each time. And I wonder, maybe that is, maybe that is the biggest factor. Like I'm speculating here, but because you know that you're going to be able to get 100% of this experience with an RPG, maybe you spend half the time doing inventory management and it's kind of like, well, that wasn't great. You know, um, you know when you compare it to Dark Souls as uh, somewhere in the middle, Dark Souls bosses, you're typically not tearing through them on one or two attempts the first time you're encountering them. Mm -hmm. If you're me, you're stuck on them for weeks, if not months. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, especially if, say, uh, you're fighting Yorm and you've totally forgotten that you need to actually hold the thing down to charge the thing up. Um, right, right, yeah, right. whatever. Okay, fine. We all make mistakes. Um, <laughs> I can't believe that I spent several months on my second attempt on Yorm. Second I should character. have said something sooner. I, yeah. Well, but yeah. I don't think you totally knew. because I didn't. I had, I had moved. It wasn't like I was like, you weren't watching me play with any kind of frequency at that point. So you didn't know that I was failing to charge up the sword all the way. Anyway, that's way off topic. But um, but Dark Souls is interesting in this way because you can decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and fucking take down this boss. Okay, I'm gonna grind it out for a while. Okay, 45 minutes later, I'm done for tonight. I didn't take down the boss. You know, I got, uh, you know, another level maybe. <laughs> or I leveled up my weapon. Or I explored a little corner of the map that I hadn't been to because I got tired of dying against this boss. Or I did five attempts and that's cool for now, right? Um, but that's where as much as Dark Souls draws on the tradition of RPGs, of action RPGs, um, it's totally not one. It's a foundationally different type of experience, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I took I you pretty a... far off course, but... No, I, I had I had one more like juicy tidbit, but it's it's slipping away. But that's that's okay. Um, oh, uh, narrative density. I wonder if that. It certainly is a factor. I wonder if it's another large factor. Dark Souls is pretty narratively light. You know, you might talk to an NPC once a session to get a few lines of dialogue. Final Fantasy X, you are getting pages upon pages yeah. of dialogue and story. And that just that just feels different than being in this quiet, serene, maybe not so serene world of Dark Souls. I think that that's actually a, a pretty big factor. And I, I think it oddly enough, it like nails the um, the issue that I uh, that I had with Death Stranding um, hooking me, mm -hmm. which is that I really enjoyed Death Stranding. Um, I wanted to spend more time on it. 
part of it, I was actually still heavily invested in playing Dark Souls 3 at the time. I was not in one of my light phases with, with the Souls games. I was like pretty deep in the tank on it. Um, so that was a big factor of competing for attention. But another factor was that it, it has that, I mean, it has 45 minutes or more of cutscenes before you even start playing the game. Right. Which I enjoyed watching. But I also was like, big red warning flag, what exactly am I getting myself into here? Because uh, to some degree, it partakes from that tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I would like to get back to Death Stranding at some point, too. Um, but the probability of it is lower than some... In some ways, the probability of it is lower than starting, say, a Final Fantasy X, because it would be like, hey, an experience I haven't had. Yeah. Um, or if a new Final Fantasy were to come out and you were to say, this is almost as good as 10, I'd be like, all right, you know what? I could play at least three hours of that game to a, a, at least participate in, in the experience to some extent and get a taste of it and see if it hurts mm -hmm. me, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, much, much food for thought there. Yeah, we, we dug deep on that one. So tell me what you've been playing. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just briefly touch on um, Yakuza, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Um, which I mentioned, I, either you and I spoke privately or on the pod about my discomfort with like, well, specifically the game labeling Hungry Hungry Homeless as an enemy type that you then just mercilessly beat down. <laughs> that wasn't on the pod. When you yourself are also currently homeless in this part of the game. Um, and it, it really, th it gave me a really bad taste in my mouth. And there were a couple of months where I didn't touch it. But I, I kind of knew that I was curious enough and heard enough good things. I, people have been raving about this game. Yeah. And so I played a little, I've been playing a bit more recently and I got like a full party or at least a three person party. And this uh, is a departure in that it is a straight up Japanese role-playing game. And it, they, they deliberately reference and explicitly reference Dragon Quest as uh, like the characters will talk about the game, like life's just like an RPG and you can level up this, you know, it's, it's oh, crazy. That's fucking meta. Um, that's a trip, man. But the battles, the battles are so much fun and they're, it's exactly what I want uh, from, from, and even to expand on the final fantasy 10 thing, like I want it to matter that I can debuff an enemy's defense. And I want the game to want me to do that, to compel me to use my own status effects and to not have it miss every time like it does in certain games when you try to yeah. debuff an enemy. And, and this game does that. Like I'm constantly thinking about, about ways to do that. Um, and the, the other thing I'll mention is I normally hate when you can make your party fight automatically. Mm -hmm. But for some reason in this game, I turn on auto battle and I watch the battle unfold and it's so much fun. Because they're doing what I would have done, but I don't have to hit all the buttons. <laughs> and then I can. That, do you think that Loop Hero has primed you? That is, yeah. <laughs> that could very well be. Um, it could also just be, though, that like if it's, you know, the AI is smart enough or it, you influence what those, what those auto fight behaviors are going to be. You can choose a, a behavior set. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's actually a really, there, there's a big difference between your super old school RPG where like your characters just do whatever the fuck they're going to do versus mm -hmm. you getting to, to like basically say, you're going to do something basically like this. Yeah. And then you just, if you need to, you tap a button and then you're back in full control, you know, of everybody turn-based. So there's no, there's no rush. Um, 
you know, the, the cultural and social insensitivities are still there and are still unfortunate and gross, but, uh, you know, I've, I don't know, I guess I've moved past them for my own self, um, while still recognizing that they kind of suck. I feel like we need a different <laughs> episode to talk about like this from a standpoint of art. So yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, Yakuza has been great. Um, I had the pleasure of, you know, since we've been off for a couple of weeks here of playing through Resident Evil Village uh, with Joanna watching. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you um, were in the midst of it. Um, you, were, you were past, you'd done the early finish on uh, on uh, Lady Dimitrescu mm-hmm. um, when yeah. we last spoke. And uh, the last thing you'd mentioned was the nice jump scare with the window moment. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. My God, that was that was good. Uh, yeah. Some other some other good scares. It definitely goes to action heavy as, as the game end. progresses, uh, yeah. which is fine. It's it's fun to shoot stuff. Um, I saw a rock, paper, shotgun uh, like post where the title was basically like the back end of the game is action heavy and I love it. Fuck you all. <laughs> yeah. It. At the same time, though, it it never reached the heights of RE7 aka biohazard um and it feels a little more disposable i suppose um for me anyway and maybe disposable isn't the right word but it it hasn't quite sunk in as like oh man this was a good story and this was these were interesting characters that game is fucking batshit man like it goes in these insane directions and i guess the one thing i'll focus uh, well, no, eight uh, village. village. Um, yeah, so village is batshit and goes in the same direction. Yeah, and sort of seven okay. to a degree. But this, this, you are like in a improvised like forklift chainsaw mecha fighting this guy named Heisenberg, who is a, an, a terrible villain, like, and not in a good way. <laughs> this game, it had like a great antagonist in Lady Dimitrescu, and you kill her in the first like two hours, and then she's just gone. Like I kept waiting. And you, you never even get to go back to the castle, which I was also a little disappointed about. Um, but it it was good. Uh, but but the forklift mech was, was like, that, that sounds fun. It just, it didn't have, it didn't have a great antagonist. Um, and the story kind of faltered a bit, but it, it ended up becoming interesting again, I would say, especially with your, with your character, Ethan. Um, you, spoilers, obviously, but you're looking for your daughter and then it turns out that she has been turned to crystal and put into these four different vials. There's like the head vial and the legs vial and the arms vial and the body vial. And then you bring them together and obviously it was all a a plan all along and all that. Um, but man, they, they just go there. Like. I'm That's holding this weird. thing that says it's my daughter's crystallized head inside. And in fact, it is. You find out that, it, you know, because I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, no, this was all a trick. But no, it's your daughter. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to divulge more more story beats. I, I know you don't care, but I'll, you know. I don't intend to play, but I understand, uh, you know, we have listeners and some of them might. So we're, we're going to go, we're going to go with uh, playing that to the, to the side of caution, but I do think it's funny and reflective of uh, one of these weird things when you're playing a game from another country. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And I wonder if people playing American games, like because the American entertainment media complex is like such the, the paradigm of shit, maybe people don't encounter these issues from their own cultural perspectives because they're used to, to referencing off of our bullshit. But with Japanese games in particular, the easy standout example, you always have that weird thing where you're wondering like, is this a, a diversion or is this just a cultural thing that's totally fucking weird to me, right? right? Like, and you don't necessarily know and you have to wonder for a Japanese gamer, would they know? And you don't know the answer to that question either. Right, like a hungry, hungry homeless comes back to mind. Like I was offended by that. Uh, were people in Japan offended? I'm sure some were. Um, it, oh, it's hard to say, right? It's, but the fact that it made it into the game t tells you something about the, the culture at large, I suppose. I listen. I I think that um, it is not a well kept secret that there are, much as with American culture, there are deeply problematic parts of Japanese culture. Yeah. Um, that in different ways that in some ways are actually more obvious in their ugliness. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, like in America, we try and cover up our misogyny, our racism, our classism. Um, but like, it, it's pretty evident that the Japanese culture actually does not make an, as much of an effort historically. Mm -hmm. I, I can't say whether or not there are modern shifts in that regard. Right. But it's, it's definitely kind of, it's just broadly known. Um, that uh you know that those uh those paradigms live closer to the present yeah and and they live close to the present here but again we we do everything we can to bury it and pretend it doesn't exist right and that shows in our media in really big ways um even if it is extremely extraordinarily fallacious and sometimes even uglier for it but yeah it almost well it does make one wonder which is quote worse like it, it it's I mean, if, if I had to hazard a guess, it would be the culture that tries to hide it and pretend it's not there. I mean, I don't know. We just do worse. white guys with a podcast over here. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you tell me. Right. <laughs> um, that said, be, be all that as it may. Um, it still sounds like a pretty awesome game. Experience. It is. I, we had a ton of fun with it. Um, and, you know, some frustrations. And like I said, it doesn't quite hit the highs of, of RE7. Um, so while we're on the subject of of cultural uh, grossness, um, uh, which is a horrible way to to sum up that notion, but there's a character named the Duke in the game who is the merchant, mm. and it's an incredibly disappointing design. Um, the character is is morbidly obese, uh, and you can have a fat character in a video game like. That's fine. Um, it doesn't because it doesn't have to be about that, right? It, they can just be. When like you can have right, a gay character. It actually, can just, be representation of body types. It is almost right. never done right, but right. it can. Yeah. And this character is slovenly and clumsy and gross and engages in vices, and it's a very fat phobic design, and it was very disappointing. Um, yeah, I actually had the same experience when I watched. Well, I only watched an, one episode of it because it was such a turnoff. But uh, the Fooly Cooly, like sequel, like I love Fooly Cooly. It's an anime. Yeah, they made two seasons of of sequels. 
the same studio, same creative team. I mean, the original is one of the most weird Freudian psychedelic and oh, absolutely man. awesome animes of all time. I'm a huge fan, not I quite as huge it. a fan as you, but yes. Yeah. But there is this like chubby schoolgirl character. And of course, like everything about her is how, she, you know, eating and chubby, you know, like, and you can certainly examine those, those things, but to simply play it for laughs, you know, man, we can do better. And like you Japan, do, you need to do, you need to, <laughs> you do, need better. to do better. You need to do better. Yeah. So the Duke is very disappointing. Uh, and just, it's just unnecessary. I, I don't know it. Yeah. Unfortunate, unfortunate choice that they, that they made there. Well, I mean, we're digging in all, all kinds of adjacent topics today. Yeah. I thought, okay. I thought maybe you had yet another, but you were just sort of summing up the, the situation. I was. I Perfect. Was, yeah. Well, um, segues are failing me. So we will simply move along into what I love about. All right. Lay it on me, Moses. I'm going to keep this short because we've talked a lot of topics and we, uh, I think, are going to delve into uh, at least a brief exploration in absence of guests today. Um, you've talks, talked about Jackbox games before, mm-hmm. I believe, in this very segment. Um, and what I love about Jackbox games is actually that uh, they try, uh, it, just to be clear, it's not Schmitty and it's not like the murder guy. <laughs> Okay. I don't love I don't love that about Jackbox games. If there's one thing I could I like kind of do without, but I understand why it's there. It's the host characters. Um, but no, what I love about Jackbox games is how they have refused to be like penned into a specific box of like this is the game that we make. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are certain things that they they definitely do bring back, right? Um, like Fibbage makes periodic uh, like reoccurrences, right? Um, for obvious reasons, Fibbage is, is a great game. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's good. Quiplash. Similarly, there have been iterations of it because this is good. This is, this is solid. They've, they've tweaked it. They've tried different versions of it, but then they try random shit. And I just love that. I love that for like, first of all, as you've kind of opined previously, like the fact that these games are so accessible and put video games in a different frame for interacting with people and getting people who would not, not normally necessarily play a game. To, to play a game um, is huge. Um, but they try weird stuff like mm-hmm. like TKO is a great example yeah. of a game that's at once brilliant and like a total fucking failure all like wrapped <laughs> up in, in the same package, you know? Um, well, bracketeering is another one that like, I really like bracketeering. It only works if you have a sufficient number of people and it only has a, like a certain amount of mileage on it. And then you you have other stuff that it's like basically I think we could all like collectively and I haven't I'm not 100% current I missed some of the party packs along the way uh, but you have stuff that's definitely been like pretty flop house and at least in the circles that you and I have played these games with we just always skip those yeah um... but I like that they try it I like that they're willing to fucking try random ass shit and keep like seeing like well does this make a good party game let's try it yeah it's it's a nice blend of of them rehashing what works a la quiplash and yeah. trying new stuff and sometimes it really hits like uh uh, uh, pat, uh not patently stupid but um the one where you put on powerpoint 
presentations like that is inspired and draws people out of their shells and i know we've you and me and wendy and rick have played it uh we did just the other day talking, uh, points. talking points yeah yeah talking points and it's goddamn brilliant it doesn't work for every crowd and that's actually another part of what i like what i love about what jackbox does mm-hmm. they're willing to throw things in a pack that they're like okay we know that this is not a mainstay not everyone who's who's like playing quiplash will necessarily want to play talking points but it's really brilliant for the crowds that it works for, for the types of players who want. And so, Hey, maybe I'm wrong about some of the stuff that I'm like, well, that's just terrible. <laughs> you know, maybe those actually do really hit well, but I have a feeling that a couple of them are really you know, pretty. I was rough. actually going to push back on, on, on one thing, uh, which, I mean, you were certainly speaking somewhat hyperbolically, but we'll see uh, TKO. You, you said, <laughs> in addition to other things was a total fucking failure. And I wondered I wondered what about TKO uh, doesn't quite meet the mark for you. You know, I mean, I actually played it a lot. Um, and it's because the early rounds of TKO, I think, are super fun, but it runs long. It it just, yeah. it wallows in the middle. And by the time you get to the end, like the drawing aspect of TKO, TKO works great, mm-hmm. usually. Um, it's not an utter fucking failure. That's really not fair. Um, I'm looking at the list here of pack four mm-hmm. and I seem to remember trying monster seeking monster once, which makes me feel like it probably did not hold up well, but maybe I'm just totally mistaken. We just didn't give it enough of a try. I've never but, tried it. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so no, it's unfair to call it another fucking failure. It's a game that succeeds so well in the early game. And then just really like, you start to go like, Oh God, Oh, I got to do another t-shirt. Uh, okay, what am I going to do now? And like, it's a good game. It's a yeah. good game. It genuinely is. But uh, it doesn't have, the Jackbox games at their best are really just, every moment is pretty snippy and you, you're engaged and the room is engaged and it's like moving forward and there's like a sense of, a good sense of pressure, time pressure accompanied with opportunity to get creative and goofy and stupid. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, pacing is is an issue and I don't see a way around it um, other than to omit an entire round and just have it be kind of a one round. Oh, thing. Madverse but, city. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, it kind of has some moments, but it's really deeply problematic. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are winners and losers and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a reason it's been a mainstay for, for various groups over, over the years, you know, and especially absolutely. the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we were just playing the other day, but, but yeah, that's what I love about this week is the Jackbox's team, team, the Jackbox team's willingness to just try random ass shit. For sure. How about you? Well, for me this week, um, what I love about FTL faster than light. Ooh, nice choice. It's the game ability... I have not really played, but watched a little bit of. Oh my God, dude. Oh, and this, I mean, this, this, you could put into a little. No, FTL is on my list. FTL is on my like list for sure. Um, FTL's ability to keep me coming back to it like year over year, hour over hour. I'm actually looking it up on my steam right now. It's, it says I've logged 275 hours um, on this machine. And this is not including, it didn't, it's like a fresh, I don't know fresh thing but like it's not counting my old 
uh, log of ours. Um, yeah. But my God, like what what a game! Just the the longevity of it and the the joy of getting into a run and being like, oh, I've got two level two burst lasers in section two, and that means I'm just going to destroy everything that's in my way. Or oh man, I've got this perfect setup, but I randomly went to this area where all my power was sucked away by electromagnetic radiation or whatever. Yeah. And there's an enemy with a drone that's just lighting my ship on fire. And I can do a little micromanagement maybe to survive, but I might just be out of luck here. Um, and the uh, the music, I mean, I, I think every game I love, I end up saying the music, but my God, the music. Um, there's one song that's that, probably not an accident, but yeah. Yeah. There's one song that's about Orval. Uh, that <laughs> I, you know, made up a whole suite of lyrics as I am wont to do. Indeed you are. Uh, for, for pups. Um, but I mean, when did this game come out? I mean, it's been out. Has it been 10 years? I mean, it's got to be. Uh, it has been something like that. It came up recently because in the uh, well-played retrospective issue that I did a few video uh we did a video submission for it and i actually really need to get in there and uh, get those uh things captioned um that was actually the third podcast-esque video that we did uh with uh mark chen who's been a guest on the pod previously mm -hmm. and david simpkins our friend and colleague who uh will be a guest on the pod at some point uh but david did a run through ftl while we were talking about uh related topics and things that offshoot into um you know broader questions but that that exact question came up in terms of when it came out. And it's been out longer than uh, we should probably feel comfortable with since it still feels new-ish. Yeah, uh, 2012 is when it came out. There you go, nine years. And I will definitely like saturate, like I haven't played it in maybe a year and a half. Uh, but every couple of years, it'll be enough time to where I will like resaturate myself in it and try and unlock a new ship or just try and beat it again. Yeah. And it's man it's fun every time i don't know how they did it it's a perfect balance of systems and strategy and rng and good writing and incredible music it's a perfect game i mean having just recently watched uh, a playthrough of it i have such an appreciation for the system side of that game mm -hmm. in particular i can see why it has an evergreen quality why you could you could get to the horizon you could be done with that game for a while and be like yeah i'm pretty saturated and you know give it some time and you can come back to it and it's like in theory i feel like that about minecraft but in practice the problem is that minecraft has kept changing i still think i can come back to it and enjoy it um but it does have this sense of like kind of um world of warcraft is a bad example because the changes are different and the and the horizon is different but it's still a kind of relevant point of like if I come back to this, will I be completely freaking lost as opposed to a game that's basically done, right? Right. Um, and that's just great and just will feel good to return to it. So um, do you think that the um, graphics are part of that in the sense of not overreaching or underreaching? Like it wasn't trying to be a cutting edge game graphically. Mm -hmm. but the graphics are also solid for what they're doing right yeah yeah uh, i think it's right in the sweet spot there um, and so that helps for like that long-term re-engagement it's not like you come back to it and it feels dated because it wasn't trying to be cutting edge at the time 
Right, right. That's that's a big part of it. That's why, like, well, that's why I prefer Super Mario Brothers three to the Lost Levels, or not the the All Star version. To the All Star version, of it. yeah. You know, there's a timelessness to that that sort of aesthetic, um, and yeah, and and I think that definitely rings rings true for this. Experience. Like the All Star version felt like they were trying too hard to make it something that it were that only later Mario games were able to achieve in terms of polish and smoothness. As far as no, it's more for me anyway. It's more straight up just aesthetics. Ah, uh, I like the chiptune music. I like the blocky pixelated graphics a little more than I do the rounded out uh, stuff. Right, stuff. like 128 bits, perfect. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, right, and so when you do something that, um, even if it has greater you know technical depth than that but plays to those conventions more tightly then it's going to hit your aesthetic mm-hmm. um which is certainly i mean coming back to loop hero a, a, a good example thereof right like the depth of what's being done there is a lot more than you could do with 128 but it mm-hmm. sure looks 128 you know more than 64 but it, it doesn't you know at, at a glance it doesn't look like it's got uh you know a, a great level of pixel density yeah um but yeah just uh at some point in the near future you should turn on it's uh the ng battle music you can find it on spotify and it's got this this really nice kind of vibraphone kind of keys going on and uh i just you're my little orvis be my little scruffer and I love you so much. Like that, you know. Kind of, <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. That is, that is, well, yeah. When I, you know, that is how I do with the, the Gaston song that I, <laughs> I bestowed <laughs> upon you. You lyricized. <laughs> Dear gods. I mean, your name has two syllables, so it's really It all works I pretty well. Well, I mean, I realized a while back with Birdie and Jeeves that I could sing any song using Birdie and Jeeves. Benny and the Jet. Well, Benny, Birdie and the Jeeves. Yeah. Birdie, Birdie, <laughs> Birdie and Birdie, Birdie Jeeves. You got two plus plus the third. You can literally do anything with it. So, you know, yeah. But uh, I will. I will. Uh, I will definitely have to dip into that much as um, uh, just an FTL in general. Yeah. Um, you know, it's absolutely on my list of games that, that I that I need to play. Um and unlike Disco Elysium, which I absolutely will play, and I recognize it's going to be a deeper commitment, that it will be like, babe, I'm, I'm going to have to play a game for eight hours now. <laughs> like, um, that uh, FTL is definitely fits into my paradigm of gaming, uh, like of regular gaming, that I can yeah. easily be like, all right, much as I like would like to try again right now, uh, this was the allotted time I set to play, and so I'm going to move on and do other things with my life and try again tomorrow. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, speaking of good stuff and great segues, it's time for our next segment of the show, which is your Spelunky 2 Minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, in absence of, uh, of our fighting game experience uh, in, in the last week, things have just been weird. I think we can all recognize things have been weird. Um, and by all, I mean, Paul and I can recognize 
Um, but yeah, we, we uh, did not play any Grand Blue, but we did drop into some Spelunky too. We did. And, um, you know, we, we have a, a little bit to say about it. I guess broadly, the idea of you and I picking away at Spelunky 2 online has actually grown in my mind as something I, I want to do, as opposed to this impossible bullshit, which it also is. It is also that. <laughs> I mean, most notably, when we got to level four in the caves last night, uh, had accidentally killed the boss and didn't have any bombs left. Yeah. That yeah. was just some bullshit. It sure was. And it wasn't <laughs> the first or last instance of, of, of bullshit. Um, but be that as it may. Yeah, it's. I enjoy Grand Blue. I. Oh, we will be coming back to it. We will. And speaking only for myself, I, I do sometimes question if my desire to play a fighting game and be good at a fighting game is sufficient to propel me or us into the next phase of, of Grand Blue. I mean, we can just keep fighting and having fun. To me, there oh, won't it's going to be, be much... part of the mix for us for a yeah. while. I can tell that much, but I, I get where you're going with this. This is perhaps, I don't know if shameful is the right word, but there is there is a mental block to starting to powering up the game Grand Blue Fantasy Versus that really discourages me from getting into a training mode. Oh yeah, there's like five minutes of updates and online checks and. It's well, I, even if every even if your game is current, killing. there are five minutes of loading screens because it has five loading screens. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just enough. And it's one that, like if you and I are about to get on, like whatever, that's a trivial cost, right? But if but I, I, I want to play a game, you know, I'm probably not going to want. I don't want to do a bunch of quote work of getting through the menus to just do some work of training. of training. It's like a double a double downer, you know. Um, and it's not like you and I are big fighting game aficionados. We were sort of, we were, well, it was an experiment and it, it is an ongoing experiment. It's an ongoing you know? experiment, but like, but I think it's actually totally appropriate and respectful to treat it as such, which is to say Spelunky Two Minute yes. will be featured on the next episode yeah. <laughs> of this podcast. I think we're at 59 seconds now, but. So there um, you go. Um, no, I had a lot of fun uh, last night. You always carry a little bit when it comes to Spelunky because you are, you, you know, just better. Although there are moments I carried you uh, last night, one of them literal while you were uh, away from controller. <laughs> right. um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's the inherent to our dynamic. Um, and we kind of talked about adjacent to this um, with Joe with regard to Mario mm -hmm. um, and, th and that dynamic. And Spelunky does not uh, punish having somebody who's a little bit more of the carry. In fact, actually right. Spelunky 2 has decided to reward that by at least giving you both the uh, the Puglick. Right. Um, which is great. I think that was like, there are many things that are significant changes from one to two. And that's one that I think was just like, well, this is obvious. <laughs> Why make that a competition between right. players in a mode that is entirely cooperative? Right. So totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So probably more, more to say with, with that. I'm curious as to where it goes. I'm curious if, if we are going to be able to get over the hump of like 
what if let's okay so we had we had a few runs last night and it culminated in a run that we got pretty far what if we get pretty far on the first run and we die after 20 minutes starting over is tough brutal and that's the one thing about online co-op is that you don't get to use the shortcuts you've unlocked right you get to use them if both players have them i don't think you do no matter what when you go into online co-op as far as because you're not in the intro space you're not in the outside of the cave space and online right you are on local co-op though right yes so i mean that's honestly our big challenge is that like making deeper progress will require getting through the earlier stages every time and when we beat the original spelunky both separately and um you know and together we definitely use shortcuts right. um there would be some strategic things like say let's start in the ice caves so that we can loot up a little bit more before we get to the end um and there was certainly hey let's start in the caves to see how far we can get mm-hmm. and probably got to the temple and maybe even to olmec on on a, on occasion but that wasn't a strategy for beating the game. That was a like, hey, we've beaten the game. Let's try and make it harder on ourselves. Or like, yeah. we're close to beating the game, but we know the temple is brutal and we just want to get through it. And if we can have extra bombs, that would really fucking help. Exactly. <laughs> the saving grace is that we will be as kitted up as possible. If we get the time, there uh, yeah. to the end, we will definitely have all of the tools that we could possibly have. Yeah, so that you know, that is a nice chunk of, of motivation right there, uh, of, yeah, we can afford all the bombs. We can have the double shoes, you know? Um, so we'll see. And if we only do a run once a week, that's fine too. You know, uh, all the better when we get back together in physical space and can use the shortcuts, you know, I think for both our gaming, I like, this is a way to to re-anchor in terms of this, this pod, uh, with regard to our gaming, because I was actually thinking about this. This is very meta of like the tendency of the podcast to feel like work um, and not wanting every time we get together online to play, especially if we only have time, say once a week to get together to do that, to feel like it's part of the work. Mm -hmm. Um, It made me realize in one fell moment, like you get energized when you're doing this part that we're doing right now, but the buildup to it can have some pretty big inertia, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the context of other shit in your life going on. Um, and, um, I think that us gaming together is an important part of the podcast, but us gaming together is a far more important part of our friendship, especially since we don't live in the same goddamn city. So, um, it's a bit of a balancing act and being able to say like, you know what, let's shift the game we're playing and we can throw it into the pot or not. Um, like that, that just seems healthy. I agree. And let's, and this won't be the case, but let's say we never touch Grand Blue Versus again. We now have a a foothold into modern fighting games to where if a game comes out that has better net code and fewer loading screens, that maybe we can jump into. God, the loading screens. Why (laughs) do you need a loading screen before your loading screen where you need to affirm that, yes, I want to actually go to the game? (laughs) Guys, like, Come on, we really yeah, yeah. do like your game, but that especially is the one that feels like a step too far. <laughs> like I get it. Like uh, any game that has a network that's not entirely online, that has network enabled, has like, hey, select this option. You'll have to load into that part. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just comical. 
Um, yeah. At least for me. And again, maybe I'm a cultural outsider to whatever assumptions the devs are making, but you know, but I, I'm there I, with I, you. <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, uh, as um, you know, as, Mar- as stupid Americans um, we're, 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 we're benighted and we don't appreciate the beauty of all of your extra loading screens. So, exactly. you know, did you say benighted? I did. What's it, what does that mean? Uh, like in the dark, I think. Let me double check myself. Oh, like it's not, not with a, a French word. So like last time when I completely screwed that up. Yeah, no, no. Benighted with an N. Okay. I guess it's a pitiful, pitiful or contemptible intellectual or moral ignorance, typically owing to a lack of opportunity. Damn, dude. Yeah. Um, nice. I, well, maybe tooting my own horn. I don't learn a new word every, every day. And yeah. No, you got a pretty one. pretty deep vocabulary. So there you go. Benighted is is with an N, not with a K. Um, I don't know what it would be if you were be knighted. Um, <laughs> yo, we be knighted. Uh, it's when your pauldrons get chopped off. I think you're benighted. You're be, no, that's when you're denighted. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. I am now like shoot. I actually don't generally. So I'm going to assume like the knighted is in the dark. So the B is like it is put upon you or it is upon right. you. Um. But for whatever reason, I don't actually know that that root or recognize it. Uh, it's almost certainly Latin. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, like bedraggled, right? Right. The draggledness is right. Is you beginning? Was that another? Perhaps. Probably. Yeah. Next week, etymology with Paul and Mo. <laughs> right. A subject we know very little about, but we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> our, our new side podcast. <laughs> Talking words with Paul and Mo. Well, uh, let me go ahead and talk a few words about baseball because it's time for Paul and your baseball updates. Let's do it. And uh, what a crazy week it was in baseball. Um, they so uh, there is this entity called the Reader, and the Reader reads the tarot cards they have purple text oh shit and uh there is a seasonal yeah there's a seasonal reading this just got weird each earl siesta early siesta and the reader seemingly is on the side of us the fans uh and opposed to the coin who is the evil boss of blazeball and the reader offered a decree which we could vote on that was turning the tables and winning becomes losing. And of course, Yellowstone magic was all about that because as above, so below, etc. So that decree ended up passing. And what it meant was each time you win a game, uh, you actually uh, lose, essentially. Um, by losing a game, you get an unwin and uh, uh, I'm I'm already like losing myself, but basically it just you flipped. get to unlose by winning. Yes. Okay. Um, and so basically, winning was no longer good, and the losingest teams went to the top of the brackets and ended up going into the playoffs. Um, and it was we were so hopeful that Magic, because we're all about the uppy downy weirdness, like, and we made it uh, into like the championship round and lost. Uh, you know, which is okay. Like um, you do. But it was a truly weird season because all of the scores, uh, all the win-loss 
rankings of the teams were in like red and in brackets, meaning negative. And like the fewer negative wins you had, the the higher you would you would go on on that leaderboard. Um, so that was uh, interesting, and it it sort of ties into what I was discussing on our last pod about being conflicted about what to root for. Like, do you want Absolutely. your team to win? And then the game literally did that. It's it like, literally does the flip on you. Like, no, you want your team to win uh, by losing. Yes. Um, and after that season, the coin was not pleased. So he put a decree in the election and it's the only choice. Normally there are multiple choices, <laughs> but the only choice was repeal turntables, which is what, uh, uh flipped everything was these turntables were installed. So like if in literally one stadium. player, one, one, uh, not player, but one fan voted. Exactly. Yeah. And then a bit later in the season, uh, the, the reader came back and added another option, uh, which was chosen. And now there is an under bracket and teams ah. will, there will be a championship for the top teams and another championship for the bottom bracket teams. That is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, now, I think what our listeners really want to know <clears throat> me is what does this mean for the unlimited tacos? Right which is your team of choice. It which... is. It is. Dear listeners, we discovered <laughs> that I had, in fact, already set up a Blazeball account, <laughs> which I only <laughs> vaguely remembered. And of course, I had chosen right. the LA Unlimited Tacos as my team because, hey, not only am I living in LA, but come on, Unlimited Tacos. tacos. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was very pleased because you had like 28,000 coins. You've been benefiting from Eat the Rich each season, you know, without even knowing it. How did I um, you know, like do this? I, and honestly, I've got to say that having dipped into Blazeball a little bit, and this will still be your update, but I'm just going to be more likely to interject that um, once I was actually in there checking out the UI, it's far more approachable than I thought. And while it will be tempting to spend more time in it when the season is live, like I can tell that already, it also looks very manageable to, you know, spend 10 minutes a week or whatever, or maybe like 10 minutes a day, the same yeah. difference. So it's like kind of a wash, um, like blaze ball seems overwhelming, but if you have played games, once you get inside of it, it's just not that bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that's, that's good to hear. I, I, I certainly agree. And you can be someone like me who has the bandwidth to bet on upwards of 10, uh, games, you know, 10 hours, you know, a day, uh, not actual 10 hours, but you know what I mean? Right, um, right. But you could have a snack pack that is all passive income where you don't have to bet at all and you're still going to be raking in uh, coins. Um, so, yeah, that was a ton of fun showing you around the UI and the, the book and, you know, all, all the different items that play. I mean, my gut tells me that I can, you know, spend a half an hour here or there and make some bets and still totally enjoy the game and be more current about it. Um, exactly. And, you know, in regular fantasy sports, that's a disaster. You wind up being at the bottom of the league and everybody's angry at you. And if you bought into the league, then, uh, well, you know, you're literally pissing money down a well, but um, mm -hmm. which is not a normal figure of speech. <laughs> no, <laughs> one normally doesn't piss into wells or, or deposit money into wells. You, uh, you do deposit well, money like, into wells, actually, if you're, yeah. if you're like, you know, but you don't piss the coins. And honestly, if there are coins coming out of uh, your nether regions, like definitely see a doctor. 
for sure. Or even if you're a video game character or a financial advisor or <laughs> both, unless yeah. you're a goose who happens to have your like singular property being golden eggs. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the coin was not pleased that we all voted to continue this whole over is under thing. And yeah. they uh, implemented uh, Sun Squared, which, so I didn't know that, well, I didn't know much about what squaring numbers would result in, but it was news to me that negative one squared is one. That is true. And what that means is while there are still, while the tables are still turned, it is essentially back to business as usual because now sun squared is in effect. So every negative win will just result in uh, a win going forward. Well, it's not exactly business as usual though. It means, oh God, it means the numbers are really fucking weird. <laughs> Definitely. And the, the Society for Internet Baseball Research, I'm sure has never been more flummoxed than with this last that's piece. fantastic you know yeah. um it, it's like relatively simple math simple algebra right like uh, absolute valuing essentially um but it's not something that normally comes into play right i mean it comes into play in statistics but that's not it you know I, this is basically more like accounting mm-hmm the last thing you would do in accounting is use an absolute value because then you could represent your losses as gains. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. It's nonsense. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and then um, the last thing I'll mention here, uh, a very happy occasion. Um, Blaseball has received funding. So it is now. Huzzah financially secure i mean the patreon uh was certainly helping out um and actually they are now canceling the patreon because they have funding and they don't need uh us to give our dollars anymore uh and they said they're still going to have a way for fans to introduce new names into Blazeball, which is great i mean i've already had two uh added but uh it better not be twitter no, it's no, I'm sure it won't be. It'll be something within the, the game itself. I'm sure that Excellent. allows you to do that. Um, and you always worry about, oh, is it's going to mess up the spirit of it? And, and sure, it could happen, but uh, I don't know. Baseball I, I wouldn't seems about that solid. too much in the, in the short term anyway. Um, honestly, their, their overhead can't be that extraordinary uh, unless they live in New York or San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Even then. Even then, uh, I, I, I'm guessing the dev team doesn't involve like 100 people. So, yeah, you know, it's got to be it's got to be pretty manageable. So that's awesome. That's all good news. Yeah. Um, and one of their first tasks is going to be to create a mobile app, because right now you just have to use the browser on mobile, which is fully it's fine. I don't have any problems with it. But I mean, it's got to be a reasonably responsive website. Very but a, but a native app you can't beat native app yeah. um or even hybrid app um just by being able to say like hey yeah we're all of this stuff it's not that you don't see it you get to it differently and exactly because like typically what you wind up doing with your css with with mobile is saying choose not to display <laughs> and then like you just wind up having diminished experience or you have the full-size web page that you're accessing 
and it's wonky as fuck. Right. Um, right. So nice. Yeah, that'll make my life easier for engaging in the new season. Well, I mean, the new season will start sooner than the mobile app will be available, I'm guessing. Right. Yep. They they decided to take an extra week off. Uh, so it'll be three weeks without baseball. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it'll come back bigger and better than ever. Just like but that's like in a week time. now or something, week and a half. Uh, it'll be a bit still. I think June 10th maybe is. Yeah, it's a week and a half. What? Uh, Shit, are we already like... Because May is almost gone. You're right. Yeah, it's two weeks, whatever. Um, but yeah, either way, I'm very pleased at the, the continuing good health. Uh, June 14th is when it will oh, okay. return. And then you and I, uh, at some point, will then jump into Paul and Moses baseball. And I'm, I'm super excited. You'll have tons of coins. We'll be able to do all the stuff. It'll be great. I think honestly, we should plan on recording that as a YouTube uh, release adjacent uh, available on the Discord. Uh, maybe we make the audio available, but I think it'll be far more fun if people can actually watch that one. Yeah. Uh, so that we can do the screen share and whatnot. Because um, I think that uh, given the nature of the podcast, there's no reason not to uh, have a, a little transmedia effect of our own. I'm right there with you. Well, uh, let us have an effect on. <laughs> the eardrums of our listeners with our next segment which is make my game indeed we will at some point down the road we were talking about sub substituting our guest for uh, a little bit of a deep dive into loop hero yeah but we're gonna come back to that because we've gone deep on a lot of other topics today so yeah I feel let's like make a game who's our studio paul our studio is Golden Poodle Studios. Oh my God, this is like a gift. <laughs> Golden Poodle. Oh yep. my God. Okay. Uh, with the game Dangerous Dungeon Symphony. I am so thankful for that mm. symphony mm. because that was the most generic lead in without the symphony. <laughs> right. But All dungeons are dangerous, it's a dungeon. And I mean, the Darkest Dungeon is an actual game. Like, Dangerous right. Dungeon is like, okay, great. You got some alliteration going on. But you add Symphony, and oh, man. Yeah. Suddenly, we are definitely in a different genre entirely than we would be without the Symphony. Yeah. Um, and bearing in mind, this is coming from Golden Poodle. Right. So Golden Poodle is probably known for genre breaking. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called Golden Poodle. They think that they are pretty fucking awesome because I know Poodle owners think that Poodle is the best dog. Right, right. And they probably have a mascot who is actually a Poodle that like comes to the game studio. For sure. Yeah. Um, that is not like literally golden unless it's a golden doodle. But uh, leaving all that aside, um, music is obviously big in Dangerous Dungeon Symphony. And I actually think we haven't done this yet. I think this is a rhythm game. Okay. I know is... the Necro Dancer is out there. I still haven't played it and still need to actually. That is my thought as well. And my, my immediate problem is all I can think about is that game you just mentioned that I already forgot somehow. But, uh, what's it called? There might be a tomb involved. Tune, 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 and, and some dance moves. Uh, tune, the necro of the necro dancer of the necro dancer. Yeah, it, it's yeah, I do so fully filled game. up my my creative brain space. But obviously, we need to differentiate. Well, we need a fully 
unique uh, concept, right? The good news is since I haven't played Tomb of the Necrodancer, I'm either about to propose something that will be an accidental recreation of it, um, or more likely uh, is going to be kind of uh, kind of wildly different. Um, so here's what I am uh, proposing about Dangerous Dungeon Symphony. Um, and I'm going to start from the end game, okay. which is the fact that there's the symphony in the name. Um, that what you need to do is get the entire dungeon entrained, attuned mm. to you so you can lead them in the symphony. Mm. And that each level is going to be working through different parts of, you know, the different roles within the symphony. Um, not just, not just strings either. Right. Like the whole, so like the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get somebody on violin and you're going to have to get them on your side and in tune with you so they can play the part that you want them to play, but that's not sufficient. To conquer that level, you'll need the violin section. And then are these, within the game, are these literal violins or is it fully? I don't know. What do you think? Are there monsters playing the different instruments or are they like animated, like instruments that you want, that you have to fight with to get them working with you? Do they play themselves or is it like, you know, the violinists are all goblins or kobolds or something. So you start Mm -hmm. with them, except that like, and eventually you like, you're going to level up that first violinist so that they can truly in the end, they're like really scrappy and shit. And they're the first encounter, but because the first violinist is actually like right next to the conductor and leading a real symphony, mm-hmm. that's like the one that you need to level up all the way by the end, by the bottom of the dungeon in order for the entire thing to sing. So you can beat the final encounter. How does the performing of the music manifest within the game itself? And number two, so I, my, my mind's eye keeps taking me to like a prison and you are, which is not a dungeon, so we'll need to tweak it. But let's say you're trying to escape from this prison and you have the timpani section. And what yeah. that amounts to is like a dozen of your fellow prisoners, like stomping their feet uh, at a high intensity to maybe disguise a noise that you're making or oh i like this something else oh i really like this no i mean dungeon and prison are not that far off put them in the dungeon you know what i mean if you think about what dungeons really are not dungeons and dragons dungeons but like you know the dungeon underneath the castle it's the so i think that's actually a great way to go and so we got like a minor tweak here where instead you you are a character you're seeking to escape the dangerous dungeon, Mm -hmm. but you're ultimately only going to be able to do so by befriending the different people who are functionally playing instruments, not necessarily actual traditional instruments. And um, timpani is a great example, right? Uh, I I love this timpani like stomping feet thing, but you could have different weird monsters that are imprisoned and decide Mm -hmm. to help you out. And their attributes can be somebody <clears throat> Jason Newberry is listening to this podcast going like what the fuck are those guys smoking um <laughs> hey we haven't smoked anything yet um but like you know so it'll be like so so coming back to my violin thing it'll be like some kind of a monster that can like produce a violin like sound like it's a giant cicada or something I don't know um 
by like by doing something with its body. So in the same way that you're like prisoners stamping their feet are the are the tympanum, like uh, like uh, or tympani is the plural, I think. Anyway, um, I was going to ask, so I'm glad you clarified. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, it goes back to our etymological conversation earlier. That's definitely Latin there. So right. um, so I'm in I'm in a good space. Uh, I'm really liking this idea. I'm really liking the idea that like the symphony is composed of like really weird ways for different creatures to take the role of traditional instruments. Um, and that your, your kind of rhythm game progression involves being able to like maybe mimic them to master their sound, which is kind of a classic, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that you start bringing them together. And so your boss battles are gonna be where you have to kind of direct a few different sounds um from the different creatures who are who are trying to aid your escape mm -hmm. um in order to get to, to get through those battles i like it yeah um and one approach could even be to uh as far as the player's role you could take on the role of a corrupt warden where you are the conductor of this oh i like this what if you're like you're corrupt because the whole system is corrupt and you finally realize that they've been shitting all over you mm -hmm. and that they hate music. Mm -hmm. They've been imprisoning the music and you actually love music and you've been like suppressing your, you know, your soul. And you're like, no, I want to. And so you're actually freeing the prisoners coming up from the bottom of the dungeon and like coming up levels and levels and levels and freeing the prisoners and amassing your symphony around you. Yeah, and then the more complex a song can be played, the the more you can do with it. Like, it won't always be a prison break or a dungeon break. It will be acquiring supplies to aid in the eventual escape Absolutely. from the dungeon. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm definitely down with that. And I'm thinking that unlike traditional rhythm games, this is going to get more into an, a, an interface that's going to borrow, like, from um, looping technology in terms of musical performance. So you're not just, uh, it's not just about, um, you know, being able to tap in, in sequences. And maybe that's like early game, you have to figure out how to do some of that. But ultimately you're about having different sample patches essentially that you need to turn on at, and, and off at the right times to be able to like get things as a symphony to, to really sound and make the whole, the whole song come alive. Yeah, I like it. I it's 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 still sort of nebulous, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what more I would I would tie down at this. Well, I just don't want stage. it to become a, an Ableton Live like training platform. So I think that's one other constraint I want to put on top of it is it's not going to ultimately be building uh, an emulation of any uh, uh, like direct emulation. It would it, it would need to be something where like. And, and this is still a little nebulous and it might have a little more focus in my mind as a result of playing with digital audio workstation software more. Mm -hmm. um, so I have like a little bit more of a firm sense of where it could go, which is also kind of where I don't want it to go. Um, where it's kind of like too much like live music performance. I want it to much like, um, you know, elite beat agents or rhythm heaven is delightfully musical, but you would never mistake it for uh for a musical performance right yeah uh, i think it's really important that like okay this has a vibe and feel of turning on and off different sounds at the right times to create a performance without literally being managing a bay of samples mm -hmm. um 
in a way that that's pretty much just like making your mix, right? Like um, it, it might have to integrate that technology uh, to be a viable, like the engine might have to be capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. But then again, um, you know, Nintendo has done that too. For sure. And yeah, and maybe there's even like choreography, like those Korean prisoners who dance to like Michael Jackson. There you go. That could be another, another part of it. I think definitely that like, um, you know, that goes into the like, what do you unlock and what different stuff that like, as you, you start to free different creatures, mm-hmm. different weird creatures. I love the potential of this game for something that we wouldn't like a lot of the time we've sketched out a little bit more detail than this. But this is like the level of detail would have to be like fantastic. But that's that's like a great playground for like what might be the weird different creatures that could make different sounds to approximate different different instruments. Yeah. There's so much potential to arrive at it in the most like ludicrous, uh, you know, or just quirky or weird or wonderful ways possible where you just wouldn't expect that creature to make that sound. But then it you know, it opens up or pulls a thing out or like picks on its tooth or whatever. And it's like, lovely. Absolutely. Well, what a lovely title this week coming from Golden Poodle Studios with Dangerous Dungeon Symphony. And that will bring us to the most undangerous end of the podcast this week. Or is it? Thank you for joining me as always. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't even know what more to say. Looking forward to next time. I think so. Uh, we will, uh, almost certainly be joined by a guest next week. Yeah. Uh, we are, we are charting our guest path moving forward. I guess I'm going to insert before Paul's end that if you would like to be on a guest on the podcast, that's another thing that you could email us about. Absolutely. But beyond that, Paul. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. As I am wont to say, thanks to everyone for joining us for this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a comment, question, a suggestion, or would like to be a guest, uh, please email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never never stop stop playing. playing!